me read it for you. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We live in a very health-conscious world today, especially in a very health-conscious country. The weight loss slash diet market in America is a $75 billion industry. The fitness industry in the U.S. is over $30 billion, and it's projected that by 2028, it will grow to over $400 billion. Statistics say that nearly 40% of Americans have a gym membership. So from a money perspective, it seems that people are pretty serious about their health. More and more people are trying to get healthy and live better quality lives. But I read this week that 95% of all diets fail. Some of you know firsthand, those don't always work. And 67% of gym memberships go unused. It's a very profitable business. So for all of the expense and the effort, something's not working. I read this week that Americans eat the most calories and two-thirds of us are overweight or obese. For all the money that we Americans are spending on health and fitness, we are way down on the list of healthiest countries. But I read this indictment towards the end of the article. It said, we are overfed and undernourished. Overfed and undernourished. For such a health-conscious society, we're not very healthy. As I thought about that statement, I wondered how and if it could apply to the church. How many Christians could we honestly say are overfed and undernourished? There is certainly plenty for Christians to feed on these days. There's a church of every flavor imaginable. There are TV evangelists, radio teachers, internet preachers, TikTok theologians, Christian books, Christian seminars, Christian podcasts, a lot out there. But sadly, if we look at the state of many churches and supposedly Christians out there, I think it's true. Many of them are overfed, but undernourished. Now, Paul here is writing to Timothy about spiritual health in Ephesus. 
In verse 1 through 5, he warned about the doctrine of salvation by self-denial. There was bad teaching going around that focused on restricting God's good gifts in order to attain some high level of holiness. Paul called it demonic and deceitful because it led people to wander away from the truth and to fall away from the faith. And so Paul wants Timothy to expose this dangerous doctrine. Continuing in verse 6, we see not only does he want him to expose the doctrine, he wants him to promote the right stuff, to make sure that people know the right kind of teaching. And what we see is that Paul is primarily concerned with the topic of godliness. The only way that the Ephesian church is going to avoid being overfed and undernourished is by being godly. Verse 7 says, train yourself for godliness because godliness has limitless benefits. Godliness not only holds the promise for today, this life, but promise for the life to come in eternity. Likewise, it is imperative that godliness be every Christian's focus instead of all the junk teaching that's going around no matter how intriguing or popular it may be. And it's probably no surprise to any of you that Christians are supposed to be godly. That's a given. But it may come as a surprise that not a lot of Christians know how to get there. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what happens when you get godly or how you become godly. What are we supposed to believe? Who are we supposed to listen to? There are definitely a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of advice to sort through. Does it eventually all lead to the same result? Do I just look for something that works for me and let you find what works for you? I think this might be why so many so-called Christians described as overfed but undernourished and just as with the diet and fitness industry there's plenty of teaching out there on godliness what it means how you're supposed to get it there's a lot of people out there giving all kinds of free and even paid advice on how to get a godly life now, there are two popular streams of teaching out there that are very important that you know how to recognize and avoid. One kind of teaching on godliness focuses on the strict denial of many good things that God has given. We saw that in the first five verses uh, last Sunday. Under this teaching, everything depends on you, what you do or what you don't do. There are rules, there are restrictions, and it's based on your performance. And that's called legalism. It was common in the first century, and it's still common in many churches today. It's a very popular teaching. Sometimes it's a subconscious teaching. 
this could look like a church that puts more emphasis on what you wear than who you're worshiping, how you look, how you talk, the activities you avoid, how many things you're against. And in this way, godliness is about what you do. You're earning spiritual merit badges. These churches might talk about Jesus. They do. And they talk about grace. But in truth, the message is you've got to earn grace. You've got to impress Jesus enough with your behavior. And you've got to maintain this standard that goes beyond Scripture so that people around you can watch and judge. Now, the other kind of teaching swings to the other extreme. Under this system, everything goes because God loves you. That sounds good. You love to sin. God loves to forgive. And this is a beautiful arrangement. They'll say, well, man looks on the outward appearance, but God is only interested in the heart. This is an attitude of free grace, meaning that grace lets you do whatever you want. There's no rules, no judgment, and just about everything is okay with God. Sometimes these people see the problem with legalism, and so they try to swing as far away from it as they can, and they end up throwing out all of the rules and all of the discipline, and all the restraint. But this is the kind of people that John describes in his letter as those who walk in darkness and say they have fellowship with God. It doesn't work, and it doesn't produce godliness. Now, the scriptures describe godliness to us very differently. It is not somewhere in the middle between legalism and free grace. Godliness, scriptural godliness, is not centered on what you can do. But it's also not something that you're supposed to ignore. Instead, godliness is rooted in Christ. It's nourished by a constant diet of good doctrine. And it's developed by disciplined training. Now, fortunately, God has provided everything we need to know what godliness is and how to be godly. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That's 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Now, back in 1 Timothy 3.16, a few weeks ago, we saw that God has revealed the mystery of godliness in Jesus. By sending Jesus, he has made the mystery plain. So Jesus is our hope. He is our confidence. That's why in verse 10, this is why we toil and strive, because our hope is in the living God. It's not in our self-denial. There is only one Savior of the world, and you're not it. We trust in God's grace alone, not in our works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by the righteous things that we do. Salvation is not in what you do for God, but rather in what God has done for you. 
It is not because you avoid sin, but because Jesus conquered sin for you. Godliness, then, is rooted in Christ. And so as we think about godliness, we must first look at Jesus and what he has accomplished. And then based on what Christ has done, we then can see how we're supposed to be godly. Because when we look at Jesus, we see what godliness is. I mean, if anybody is going to be godly, it's God in the flesh. To be godly simply means to be like Jesus. One uh, scholar, name is George Knight, he wrote that since godliness that we train for is the same godliness that's revealed in Christ, what Paul says here, to train for godliness means to work out your salvation according to the power of Christ who works within you. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer and is accomplishing a work in each of us. And as we grow in spiritual maturity, our lives look more and more like Jesus. New birth in Christ produces a godly life. And as we walk in the Spirit, he produces fruit in us, and the result is called godliness. Well, how, how does that happen? How do we grow in spiritual maturity and godliness? Well, we see two things in the text. First, it comes by a constant diet of good doctrine. Paul's told Timothy that he would be a good servant of Christ by pointing out these things. You continue reading the chapter, you see that phrase a few more times. These things, these things. These things were talked about in verses 1 through 5. Timothy was supposed to make sure that the Christians weren't fooled by the wrong doctrine. He was supposed to make sure that God's gifts were, uh, that they understood that God's gifts are meant to be received with gratitude and enjoyed for his glory. He was supposed to expose the popular error of his day and point out the truth to the Ephesian Christians. And that's what a good pastor does, a good minister, a good servant. He brings these things to your attention. He makes sure that you know what you're supposed to reject and what you're supposed to receive is truth. A good pastor is there to point out your need to focus on and train for godliness. A good pastor is one who will give you the words of the faith and of the good doctrine so that you too can be nourished by them. The ESV uh, translates this word uh, as trained in the words of the faith. If you're using an ESV, you see it says trained in the words of the faith. But a lot of other translations use the word, and I think it's the better word, of nourished. Nourished in the words of the faith. It gives a fuller meaning. This word means to feed or to promote growth. Because when we eat healthy food, it nourishes our bodies. Timothy had been nourished by and grown 
up in these words of the faith. And now it was his job as a pastor to make sure that the church had a steady diet of scripture and good teaching that nourished them in the same way it nourished him. The Apostle Peter wrote in his letter, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. As a growing Christian, you need a steady diet of the word. You need to hear it read. You need to hear it taught. You need to know what it means. You need to know how to apply it. And so to produce godliness in you, God has provided you with his words to nourish you and overseers to teach you. But you also need proper training. It's all about diet and exercise. Paul here switches the metaphor. Food, working out, getting into the gym. Actually, the word gymnazo. This training here is talking about the physical discipline of an athlete. And just as an athlete trains for his sport, so must the Christian train for godliness. The book of Hebrews talks about the spiritual milk. And it, and it kind of rebukes the people in, the, in chapter 5 saying you're not ready for the milk you're, you're, or the meat. You're, you're still on the milk. You've, you've not matured. And it goes on to say that uh, as we grow and mature, we move from milk to meat as it says the powers of discernment are trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, to tie that in with what Paul is saying, don't bother with the old wives' tales. Don't bother with the silly myths and the pointless stories. Don't bother with the internet wisdom. Just focus on godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Paul's not against discipline. He's not legalist, but he's not against discipline either. He is against a salvation that's rooted in self-denial. He's already made that clear in the first part. But godliness that is rooted in Christ and nourished by good doctrine is developed by disciplined training. See, grace doesn't give us a free pass to do whatever we want. In fact, grace teaches us to be disciplined. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, teaching or training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. We don't stop at feeding on the word. James tells us we're not just hearing the word, we're doing the word. We're putting it into practice. And this is how we avoid becoming overfed but undernourished. Fix our hope on the mystery of godliness that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We feed on the scripture, nourished in the words of his faith and of the good doctrine. And then, by grace, 
put into practice what we've learned. Disciplining ourselves, training ourselves for godliness. So that day by day, as we look to Jesus, as we rely on him, our lives look more like his. Love, serve, trust in God, seek justice, hold the truth. By God's grace, our lives are marked by godliness. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you are our all in all, our teacher, our shepherd, our provider. You have commanded us to be like you. And on our own, we cannot do that. But you gave us Jesus. You gave us your spirit. You began that work in us. Help us, please. Help us to understand that it's not in our efforts. We have that tendency, God. Take it all on ourselves. Try to measure up, quantify things, categorize things, make it harder than it's supposed to be. Help us also not to just ignore it, not to treat grace as a free pass. I confess and admit it is confusing at times. Lord, we ask that you might make us into the people that you'd want us to be. You are hope. You are our Savior. Feed us with your word. Nourish us with the meal that we've fed us this, this day. Carry us. Sustain us. Develop within us the hunger to feast on the word. To eat it rightly. To know how to understand it than to do what we've been taught for your glory so that Jesus, we may look like him more and more each day. This we pray through him. Amen.